Hello Life Changes Church, we are so excited that you clicked on this video. We are in a series called What's It Like? As we look at the parables that Jesus told as he unpacked the kingdom of God for us. So why don't you get ready, sit back, grab a notebook, grab a pen as we get encouraged by this word. It's such a privilege to be preaching this morning. My name is Mark. I realize you've seen us a little bit this morning like these guys again. So I took my jacket off for a bit of change, just so there's a bit of change in the room. And uh, it's such a privilege, Kant opened up with that amazing scripture about make the most of every opportunity. I just want to encourage us, Tableview, at this time, we are having our encounter nights. You've saw it advertised this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And basically what it is, it's time for us to press in and encounter the King of Kings in worship and prayer. And maybe you're like, this is the tempting voice in your head to go, that's for like serious Christians. That's, let's be honest, we, hands up, no, I'm joking. No, it's like, I know, because I was there. They, they like, I remember I went to a church where they had a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. From Hoppers 5 to, I thought that was for like the elite of the elite. Like you had to write a test, go through seven different gates to get to that meeting. It's like, surely they don't just let anyone. No, these encounter nights are for us as a community across the city to encounter God to worship him, to press in. And those moments will be from seven to eight every night. So you've got time if you work a normal work day to get home, sort the kids, bring the kids. There's gonna be kids facilities. There's different spaces for them. And also we're intentionally doing it at our temple, at our, at our campus in Century City, just so you can get a taste and a feel of what God is doing with us. He's doing it with us. He's moving us. He's taking us on a journey. And so we're just going to be worshiping those nights. We're going to be praising God. We're going to be pressing in in prayer. What we've also done is made available from 5 to 7 o'clock. The coffee shop there will be open. There's going to be a food truck available for food. So if you're saying, I work in the city or I work in the southern suburbs and I, I come home, well, why don't you stop in Century City on the way, grab a bite to eat, Make a new friend, or maybe make sure you meet the life group there, meet some leaders there. Come and hang out with us. We're all going to be there every night, having time together, and then worshiping and praising together from 7 to 8. So this week, that's an opportunity. And I would, I would charge you, I would challenge you, try and make it to at least one of those evenings as we gather and pray and trust God for mighty things. We sing about the lion who roars. I'm telling you, he wants to roar. He wants to bring freedom to our city. He wants to do it with us. And so make the most of this opportunity at this time as um, we continue to see God move in our city, our nation. And it's such a privilege, as I mentioned earlier, to be preaching. I really do. It's an amazing. I was speaking to someone the other day. I really do love what I do. I didn't always want to do this. I've said that many times in this pulpit. I didn't want to be a preacher guy. I like being like another guy. Another guy. Like, I'll go, you go, preacher guy. I'll be business guy. So we have these classifications in church. It's okay to talk about it. And yet I realized as I've been away for the last two weeks and out of the pulpit, I, I love and I thank you for the privilege of doing what we do and we don't take it for granted. It really is an incredible, incredible privilege. And we continue our series, What It's Like. Yeah. As soon as I say that, I get a teenager from the 2000s in my head. Anyone who was there will know. It's like this young teenager, he meets a girl and she, it's, she's like, she's like, she's like amazing. She's like, like, like incredible. Like, whoa, like, yeah, whoa, like, yeah. Or it's the kid who, who's trying to explain his rugby game that he just plays. He's like, the oak was massive. Like, like, he hit me. Like, like, and like comes out about 30,000 times because he's lacking the vocabulary to fully explain the experience, but he wants you to get the passion of the moment. And it's this 
And Jesus comes and he takes us into parables, which are these narratives, these stories where he uses them. And he, he's not lacking vocabulary. We are lacking understanding. And the disciples who were sitting in front of him, they, they were lacking understanding. Their world, like our world, fashions and shapes so much of our thinking and so much of what's even possible. And so Jesus comes with these simple stories, not because, uh, not because he lacks vocabulary to explain what heaven's like or what a, a touch of God's like or, or what the kingdom of God's like. He's not lacking it. We're lacking our ability to understand it. We've got paradigms and, and we've got concepts and we've got these structures in our head of what we think it's like. When Impele opened up the series a number of weeks ago, see, I listen. He put up the word on the screen, sui generis. Anyone remember that? You're like, what is that guy speaking about? And it's just this incredible uh, term, a Latin term that's used in law, and it literally means of its own kind. There's nothing like it, uniquely unique. And the kingdom of God is of its own kind. What we struggle to do is we, we, we go, well, this is what it's like on earth. It's going to be this much better in heaven. And if you've got a low expectation, it's just a little bit better which I would say is just no sickness, no, that's a little bit better. Heaven's going to be of its own kind. And Jesus is telling these stories, and he's selling it to the disciples, and he's saying, actually, if I were to explain to it in fullness and use the language that I would use, you won't get it. It's sometimes like when we encounter grace for the first time, we're going, what? It's, it's scandalous. What? Sometimes when we encounter his love and his goodness and the beauty of the king of kings, sometimes we're going, no, that's, that's too good. It's not, it's not real. It can't be real. Well, it's not of this earth. It's of its own kind. And Jesus is speaking and he uses these short, fictitious stories and he's just teaching. And he uses agricultural pictures and he uses agricultural terms because that's what the people of the day would have understood. He, I don't know if he was in our time speaking this time, maybe he'd use, well, a kid was playing Fortnite and in the, I don't know. I don't know what the parables would look like. I've never, I don't know, I, I mean, he's teaching. So I'm not sure if the teachers in the room of you use parables. Like, I don't know. It seems to be an older concept, so we struggle. But there are these stories, and they are fictitious stories that he speaks, but behind them is a revelation. Behind the stories is the king of kings speaking about his home and trying to take us on a journey because we struggle. We struggle. Why do we sing about the Lion of Judah roaring? Why? Because we need to hear the Lion of Judah roaring because there's a thousand other voices roaring right now. The voices of inflation and the voices of unemployment and the voices of challenge and the voices of divorce, they are roaring over the church and in the church. And we need to be a people who place ourselves under the roar of the Lion of Judah so that his authority is the ultimate authority in our lives. And so he speaks. Thank you. It's good to be back. He said, well, come back. Thank you. And they ask him, the disciples ask him, why do you speak in these parables? In Matthew 13, Jesus replies, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not to them. Oh, there's a you and them. Can you even say that? Well, Jesus did. He's not trying to be politically correct. He's just explaining. Whoever has will be given more and they will, be, they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to you in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And Jesus was saying the parables are explaining the secrets. The secrets. My wife bought me a chili mayonnaise sauce for Father's Day. She could not have got a better gift. I mean... 
not anything else. I just love chili mayonnaise. But then you look on the back and think, well, they're going to tell you how they make it, so I can go make it at home, eh? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Just as simple as mayonnaise, this sauce, spices. I'm like, no, I want the secrets. Secrets made by Razia. I'm like, I don't know who Razia is, but I'm going to chase Razia down. I want the secrets of that chili mayonnaise sauce. And Jesus is saying, he wants people and says, those whose hearts are open, who are desiring to seek, they'll see more. But you can't just listen to the, 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 the parables and take the parables in principle to a heart that is close to seeing God and hasn't tasted and seen. They won't get it. Actually, you'd be taken away. And, and why? He says, well, when we get the secrets and we get a taste of the secrets, our expectation grows so that on this side of eternity where we have passion, you see, the kingdom story is a complicated one, but Jesus has come and initiated the coming kingdom, but he's coming back where the fullness of the kingdom has come. And in the middle, we're stuck. It's confusing. In the middle. In the middle, sometimes we see healing and sometimes we don't see the fullness of healing. Who struggles with that? I struggle with that. I struggle with it. But my job is to trust him in the middle. So when I spend in eternity and I don't need trust anymore, there was a journey of trusting him in the middle. Watch a man's sermon from last week. He's a man who's been preaching for 40, 50 years, and by his side has been his wife. His name's Brian, Bill Johnson. And his wife, Benny, passed away last week from cancer. And I watched the sermon that he preached on the Sunday following. With much pain and much challenge. A man who's pursued healing, a man who's preached the kingdom of God, a man who's gone after it, and a man who's seen healing after healing after healing in and through his ministry. It's a radical thing because he started to speak about disappointment. And the, the fact that, that there's the potential for disappointment, the fact that he's seen all these things, but his wife passed away from cancer. He made an incredible statement, one that I think I'll bank for years to come, and he just said this, my friendship with God can only go where, my, where his lordship has already been. He's a man who preaches about the friendship of God. In James, we see Abraham described, and he was called a friend of God. It is possible as a human being, as a son of God, to be a friend of God, but before God is ever my friend, I receive him as Lord, which means he is king which means he is sovereign, which means he is ruler, which means there's some things I'm not going to understand. But when I lay those things down at his lordship, I get peace instead of understanding. Yeah. That makes sense in the middle. Yeah. I can live with a lack of understanding if I get his peace. And that's the mandate of us as believers, to be those who trust him in the middle, who make him lord. You see, everybody wants the kingdom, but not everyone wants the king. And I'm not just talking about outside of the church. I'm talking about inside of the church. I'm talking about me sometimes, often. I want his kingdom. I want Jesus the healer, but I don't want to always be the one who trusts him for other things. I want Jesus and God the provider, the father who provides. But, but it's, it's somehow the prayer I pray when I'm in lack, but when I'm in excess, I don't want his ways of generosity, kindness, and faithfulness. I want Jesus to, the God who moves mountains on my behalf, but, but, but I don't want his ways of order and peace in my life and submission to authorities that maybe I think I have opinions about and God says, submit to your leaders. I want peace in my relation with my kids, but I feel justified to feel anger towards my parents. And yet the Bible says, honor your father and mother, not because they were great or good or even kind. It just says honor. 
And so I'm telling you, we've got to wrestle this to the earth that we, we get the kingdom and the potential of the kingdom when we receive the king as Lord first. And that's got to be preached because I think there's a little bit of a familiarity, a little bit of Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is the guy I hang out with on Sundays. Jesus will be there when I'm in trouble, but just Jesus, don't touch my finances, my talents, my times, my treasure, my heart, my, my relationship. I like a bit of this on the side, and then I pursue you here. That's a challenge, eh? Because you know what happens? We just won't see the kingdom. We just won't see it. I want to see it. And I want to speak this morning simply from one A.W. Tozer quote, because then you've used a clever guy in his quote that legitimizes any preach. Is that right? So at least we all, he said, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. A preoccupation. It means that there's just nothing else that takes our gaze away from him. There's nothing else that can shift us. And, 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 and nothing else that comes and, and uh, uh, it's hectic this week, and we know it. The inflation is on the rise. Yeah. And maybe you're feeling it today, and maybe you don't know what that means for in the next couple of days, and they didn't give me three months' warning. No, a preoccupation with God. His lordship. His sustaining power. A preoccupation with God. I want to speak today from a simple, simple parable. The parable of the mustard seed. I took it as a confirmation that Johan was wearing a mustard jacket, that my brother over there was wearing a mustard jersey, that Johan, everyone's wearing mustard. I don't, I don't even like mustard sauce. Can I just, at the start of this preach, I'm just going to confess, I don't like it. It's not my thing, but it's in the Bible. And so we're going to read about the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast from Matthew 13. Will you read with me? He told them another parable. He's been teaching. He's been talking about the parable of the sower. He's been talking about the parable of the weeds. And you'll see these agricultural terms and a lot to do with seed. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet it, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophets. I will open up my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, this must have seen story, analogy, picture, something that Jesus seemed to love. It appears in three of the synoptic gospels and Jesus is speaking about faith. He said, you just need faith like a mustard seed. It's an image that was so common in the day would have been fully understood by all his listeners and aware in that. And it's also something that he keeps bringing up. And there'd been many different interpretations of this mustard seed. And many different Bible teachers have taught it from different angles because it allows it to be taught from different angles. That's the nature of a parable. And uh, William Barclay, the, the Scottish author, professor, and theologian, he suggested that the disciples at the time were discouraged. They were discouraged because Jesus was speaking about the kingdom, and Jesus was presenting a kingdom that looked like the current kingdom being flipped on its head. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is going to come like a mustard seed. They're going, mm. we were hoping for like chariots, at least. Maybe a couple of tanks. Some big angels with big winds spitting fire. That would have been epic. You're telling us the kingdom of God that will be so different that will turn the kingdom of this earth on its head will come 
as something so small and insignificant as a mustard seed. And Jesus is going, yep, it's exactly what I'm saying. You guys have got it. Awesome. And they all there. And other guys um, uh, present that actually it's the, it's the fact that a mustard seed looks very much like a grain of sand in the desert. And a grain of sand will never bear fruit, but a mustard seed under the right pressure, under the right environment, in the right soil, bears. It is not sterile. It bears fruit and grows into a strong, well, commonly a bush. And Jesus amplifies that and uses hyperbolic language to say a strong tree on which birds can perch. So we've got to come into the scripture humbly, and I believe speak, and I, want to, I think today even some of you will see different things to others. So I want to go through it and simply make a few small points. First point is this, from small beginnings. I went to a preschool in Durban, and there's a whole bunch of Latin on the badge, but what it meant in English was, from small beginnings, better fortunes follow. That's what it meant. Had the privilege of seeing that little school playing in Cape Town yesterday. I recognized the jersey. I realized that was... Those were very small beginnings. You've got to know, myself at six years old was a very small beginning. <laughs> it was, what is that child doing here? Who led him into big school? Like, I was tiny. And when you're that small, you're going, how does this go anywhere? Where does this end? You don't know what the end of the story is. But there was this statement, and, and literally, the minute I thought of it, I, I could recite that because it was a promise that we would recite as school. It was a motto that we would hold on to that from small beginnings, better fortunes follow. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in the field, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch. See, get different types of seeds. Jesus could have picked any type of seed. That was a common seed in its time at that age, but you get all sorts of types of seeds. My wife likes eating seeds. It's a thing. She makes me eat them every now and again. She's like, do you have a snack? And she wants, here's a pumpkin seed. I'm like, what? Why would I eat a pumpkin seed? That'd be ridiculous. And, uh, but you get all sorts. You get like an avocado seed. Have you seen an avocado? It's not small. You can't kind of put it in a smoothie. It's, not, it's just not what you do. But, uh, but, uh, but this seed is a small seed, almost insignificant. You almost look at it going, how could anything come from that? How could anything? It's easy to look and say, how could anything come from that little seed? And that is the point that Jesus is making, that the kingdom they were looking forward to was strong and mighty and revolutionary. And Jesus says, actually, it's going to come in the unspectacular. They should have seen it first. I mean, let's be honest. They were a bunch of fishermen. They were pulled out. They weren't the high-standing men and women of the day around Jesus. And they're standing there. And Jesus is speaking and says, actually, Jesus is going to come. And they're going, oh, maybe that's what he means. Yeah. Even if you just go to the next scripture, I'm not going to preach about it. It says there's just a little bit of yeast. Now, yeast is often used in the negative in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's obviously the negative for sin and evil in the land. But in this context, a little bit of yeast, it's the presentation. It's not like yeast like we get these days. Like all the home breweries, you know, those home during lockdown tried to buy and bought all the stock. <laughs> so no one could make bread because I was trying to make banana beer at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put your hat. No, don't. It's, um, you didn't get it in the little packets like we do now. You didn't get it like that. What you would do is make bread the day before. You'd keep a little bit of that bread aside. And it would go a little bit frot. You know what frot means? Like a little bit like that. Ah. And then what you do, you make a new batch of dough. And you take that dough and you'd mix it in. Because within the little bit of fruit, there's yeast. It's happening. But you put something fruit in something good and just a little bit and life comes. 
It almost doesn't make sense. You're going, Jesus, why are you choosing these things? No, a mustard seed starts small but becomes a place of refuge. It's an incredible thing. See, the Bible challenges us in Zechariah 4. Who has despised the day of small beginning? I have. Many times. Just the day of small. I'm not a... I'm better on the mountaintops. I've said that many times here. I would rather something starts big and thins down than starts really small and grow. It's, it's like how we, we want a baby, we want a fat baby. You want a fat baby because a fat baby will be healthy. A fat baby, he can thin down over there. But, but moms, no, you want a fat baby. You don't want like a thin little... Just whoop. It's the truth. That's the principles of our world. And yet the challenge is Jesus coming and challenging us and says, don't despise the small little seed. And we can tell story after story. We can tell challenge after challenge. It's, it's Jesus takes the seed of a little boy to feed 5,000. It wasn't seed, it was fish and loaves. Maybe even amidst the, the by that field, you're going, well, what would my five rand, what difference would it make? Well, that guy, he can, I've seen the car he drives to church. Ah, no, he can give. That would make a difference. What would my, no, it's about faith. It's about the faith that moves God to move mountains. God's not interested in moving bank accounts. He wants to move mountains. So we challenge, we, we get challenged by this truth, and it says, whoever can be trusted in Luke 16 with the very little can also be trusted with the very much. If you'll be trusted with a little mustard seed, we're all praying for the big seed, with the fully grown plant. Bring us the mustard bush. I want that, and I'll plant it. It's like during lockdown, um, our neighbor was throwing out this big bush. I had to move this three, 400 kg bulb thing into our garden and dig the holes. And, and, but you know that's going to survive. What if you just take the little and you care for it? don't know about you, but I've often been to, you know, they give you the, the little plant you've got to take home. That thing dies. The goldfish, you know. But what if we were faithful with the little? Second, I want to just challenge us that it's time to plant. But, but it's our job to plant it in the field. And I've never seen this before in the scripture. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Cool, God's doing his job. Which a man, a man, say a man. A man, a man, a man. took and planted it in the field. See, there's a responsibility to take the mustard seeds he gives you, the little, and plant them. Plant them, which means dig into the soil, prepare the soil, make sure the soil's healthy. Then dig down deep, deep enough so it will thrive. I don't know how deep a mustard seed goes, but deep enough. And making sure it's deep enough, not just chucking it on the top. No, it'll get eaten by the birds. Not just throwing it into the soil, not just delegating it to someone else. No, it says a man took it and, and planted it, but I love that he planted it in his field which means there's an opportunity cost for something else that could have been planted. In the kingdom of God, we always deal with opportunity cost. It does. I don't know. Make decisions for Jesus. Oh, if I'm going to pray this morning and spend time in your presence, God, this morning, what else could I be doing? I could be getting ahead on that report for work. We run those bases all the time. There's an opportunity because of everything. If I'm going to trust you in this way, God, it means I've got to let go of that surety and security on this side. Opportunity cost. And if I'm going to plant that seed in my field, it means I can't plant another seed that bears bigger fruit quicker. See, different seeds bear fruit at different times. 
My parents were orange farmers at a stage, and, and one of the challenges of orange farming is you plant the, the little orange plant, and then for your first three to four years, you basically get dead fruit. It's fruit, but it's got no life. You're not going to enjoy eating that fruit. And after five years and, and peaks at about seven years, seven years is when you're getting the fruit. And for seven to 12 years, you're getting the fruit, and then that tree's almost done. Think about that. Someone had to plant and then go, just going to hang around for five years. We struggle with that. Eh? In our world of impatience and my mindset of impatience, I struggle with that concept. That's why I struggled so much when I once, by mistake, took an orange tree out the ground with my dad's bucky when I didn't have a license and wondered why he was so angry. So he started to teach me about the tree and how long it takes to bear fruit. But the mandate here is that a man took it and planted it. And I'm telling you, we're looking for the trees, but we've got seeds in our pockets that we won't plant in our field because they cost us too much, because the perspective is it's going to cost us getting our hands dirty, taking time and taking opportunity from other things. When God's saying, just plant it in your field. What's your field? Your field is your marriage. Your field is your, your parenting. Your field is your career. Your field is your finances. Your field is your time. Your field is your relationships. Plant it in your field. And we lack trust sometimes. So we come to God and go, what are we going to do? We plant it in the neighbor's field to check if it grows. <laughs> Sneak in there at night. Whoop. The neighbor will get the fruit. God won't be mocked. God's faithful. And this is seed of the kingdom. See, it, it speaks about seed in Mark 4. Jesus is talking another parable. It says, Verse 18, others are like the seeds sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. Choke. So which one's yours? Worries of the world? Deceitfulness of wealth? Desire for other things? We've all got one. <laughs> Welcome to church. We've all got one. And if we allow that, all that happens is slowly, slowly choke out the life of that seed. Not because the seed didn't have potential in it. Because the cost. Often overlooked Bible ideas that God wants us to plant in our fields. Point number three, simply this, can you see it? It says that seed becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And when you take a little seed and you put it in the soil, you sit around and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, but you can't see it. No, with prophetic eyes and with faithful eyes and eyes that know who God is, when we know who God is and God gave us the seed and God brings life to the seed and it's not my job, maybe I water it, but God brings life to that seed in any area of my life. Maybe it's your marriage right now. Maybe it's a broken potential. When you look at one of your rebellious children, what do you see? As you keep praying and you keep trusting and you keep calling on God and you keep trusting His faithfulness, when you look at, at, at broken relationships, what do you see? When you give finances to people, time, places, His kingdom, what do you see? Do you see a tree? Not just a tree, but a tree that creates cover. And so, see, this is about others. See, the kingdom of God's always linked to others. We want to link it to me, to my, to myself. 
It's about just take your seed now. My tree will grow. But the Bible says, yeah, your tree will grow. But here's the amazing thing. The birds will perch in it. Others will find safety. Those who have no ability to plant their own seed. See, birds just know how to eat seed. We live in a world where people just eat seed. We do it with our time. We just eat it up. We do it with our talents. It's just like, well, I'm going to keep that for myself. What if I were to give it away? What if I was to tell someone I could sing and then they asked me to sing at church and it's going to demand practice and time? Or what if I told someone, actually, I know how to make the best latte in Cape Town. I might have to actually serve someone at church. Or what if, what if God asked me to give? And it only blesses someone else in another location, in another part of the city. Well, again, I'm challenging you. Is he king? Is he king? Just to get the kingdom, you've got to get the king. It's the only way it works. And I struggle with it, to be brutally honest. I've struggled with it in ministry sometimes. Like, that cost is too much. That cost is too much. Not another situation, not another pain, not another person's brokenness, not another marriage in trouble, not another, that's too much. God says, keep putting little seeds. The seed of a scripture that you receive on a Sunday, it's a seed that you've got to put into the soil of your life and then tend the soil, leave the seed. The seed's God. The seed's the potential of God. What do you see in Him? No, actually, but the fruit will be that others find shade. Others. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It's not about you. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It's not about your comfort. It's about those who have no ability to plant seed. So they might find shelter and shade and in the midst of the shelter and shade, discover the lily of the valley. Can you see a tree? Can you see, can you see, can you see? So that others may live. So that others may find life. So that others had the privilege of having a meal with someone in our church recently and hearing a little bit more of their story of a start out in brokenness, leaving school in grade nine to start out a career in an industry where they found favor and worked hard and found favor and kept putting seed, all the while trusting God in the background. That story's developed many years now. And then I've come to a, a, a room this week and a lady says to me, yes, I've been in the most amazing business this week. 400 employees and, and she's in health and safety. She says, I've got the contract to go. And I'm just amazed by this business, how they love workers, how they look after workers, how they, they really truly want to make sure that their workers are looked after. I'm going, oh, what business is that? She says the name. I go, oh, that guy's in our church. Let me tell you about his story. When he rose from standard nine, standard seven, to the brink of being a director in a big company in our nation, only to sit in a boardroom and God revealed to him, I've called you to create jobs, not keep doing away with them. Makes a phone call from a boardroom in New York to a boss in South Africa, says I've resigned. God's called me to create jobs. So with faith and courage and almost losing everything and there being no fruit coming out of the ground, no seed, just seed in the soil going, come on. Now years later, fruitfulness. 400 people being looked up and the testimony is a kingdom testimony. I tell you that story because God wants to do that with your life. But it's going to demand some seed being put into the soil. You know what that means? You can't eat the seed now. You 
can't eat the seed now. You can't, you can't eat. What's the saying? You can't have your cake and eat it. I like you. I don't know where that saying fits in with what I'm trying to say. But you cannot eat the seed and still expect a tree to come unless it's coming out of your ear. That's basically what I'm trying to say. You just can't. That seed's got to be planted, and it's got to be planted in your field at some expense. It's got to be. But the fruit will be so others find shade. The fruit will be so we get to taste and see, and we look at that tree and say, my God is faithful, my God is strong, my God is mighty, my God is above the circumstances, my God is above economics, and nothing can stop the God who reigns on His throne from bringing life from a little seed. And maybe you feel like just a little seed today. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Why don't you stand with me this morning? God's moving us by showing us and giving us an opportunity to taste and see. Why am I passionate? Maybe someone came to me this week in earnest, not this week, three weeks ago. Said, talk to me about by this field and why are you so passionate? I know in my own heart, in my own story, every time God's called me, to buy into something where I am not the beneficiary, I see kingdom results. I just know it. I know that. I've tasted and seen. Now you ask me to give up what I've tasted. Now I've tasted the goodness of God. I've tasted His faithfulness. And I've received where I didn't sow. That's also what the Bible says. You know that? It says you're going to receive where you didn't sow. That's the kingdom economics. It's in relationships. I receive a friend where I didn't sow into that relationship. I'm going, why are you such a good friend? I, I receive people loving my children and faith for my children. I'm going, I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything for it. I'm not special. It's because the kingdom of God has a king seated on his throne who sees it all. He sees the details of the soil. He sees the challenges. He sees the pain. He sees the process. But he's looking for a people who will trust him with their seed. Just a mustard seed. Can we lift our hands to the king this morning? Look across this room, and I know there's mustard seeds all over. Things that seem small and insignificant. Mark, I think I'm called to write, but it's such a small gifting, so I'm just going to lay it down, and for decade after decade, no, we'll start writing letters to encourage someone before you try to write the novel that changes the world. Just write a letter to someone. Write a message to someone who's just lost a loved one, a spouse. Oh, Mark, I, 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 my career's just started and I don't know. I want to give something away to someone. I want to buy a meal for a family, but it can't be a very special meal. It's not like a Woolworths chicken. It's probably going to have to be another chicken. Buy the chicken. Give the chicken. Why? Because on the other side of that, there is a revelation of who Jesus is. There is a tasting and a seeing who the living God is. And there's more, more of his kingdom. And he says, I'm going to show you more. I'm going to show you more. I'm going to show you more. And it's not about religion. And it's not about principle. And it won't bring, make sense to everyone. It won't. But on the other side, there's a king seated on his throne saying, watch what I can do when you plant your seeds. What an amazing word. We hope you enjoyed that sermon. If you would like to find out more about Life Changes Church, why don't you go onto our website or you can follow us on our social media. Have an amazing, amazing week.